You're listening to Mount Carmel Baptist Church's weekly Sunday worship service message at 11 a.m. Mount Carmel is located in Demarest, Georgia. To learn more, visit mtcarmeldemarest.com or facebook.com forward slash mtcarmeldemarest. Thanks for listening. And turn to James chapter 1. James chapter 1, Lord willing, we'll look at verses 19 through 21. I was maybe overly ambitious when I gave my scripture uh, to Cindy this week, thinking, yeah, I'll get through verse 27. And I was like, no, no, I'm not going to be able to do that. So that's grace for you. (laughs) If you don't have a copy of God's word in front of you, I want to encourage you, please use the notes provided for you in your bulletin. If if you're watching online, uh, you can do that a number of ways too. Uh, you can uh, text bulletin to our text in church number 706-525-5351 uh, and you'll receive a link to our digital or online bulletin. If you go all the way down, there's a link to the Bible app. Or if you have a smartphone, you can just download the Bible app, the Version Bible app, Y-O-U. Uh, after you download that, you can go to the more tabs, tap events, find Mount Carmel Baptist Church. Click on today's sermon title and all the notes, quotes, and references that are in the bulletin you'll have on your phone uh, that you can see, save, and share. All right? I'm getting really good at this. Um, I also wanted to say this to Brother Randy. You're sitting back there with my dad. I think dad told me either on one of their first anniversaries or Valentine's, he got my mom a hamper. So I don't know which is worse. <laughs> you can ask dad later. All right. James chapter 1. Verses 19 through 21, I want to preach to you a message which has now become a part of the series called The Looking Glass, but message one is simply entitled Diffuse. Diffuse. How often have you found yourself regretting words that you have spoken in the heat of the moment? I know I have plenty of mine in my life. Almost all Christians struggle with hateful speech or bad-mouthing others, talking about them behind their backs or with nothing constructive or encouraging to say. And in this age of text messaging, email, websites, blogs, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, which again, I don't hate on too much. I like leveraging it for uh, gospel purposes But if there's ever been a time when words can get in the way of true, real, practical Christianity, then now is the time because of how conversant we are with one another and the world. The human heart, though, is doing nothing new. This is so important. While I do think technology uh, catalyzes certain things, Our human heart is as wicked and as sinful and deceitful as all the ancestors before us. We just have the privilege of new platforms. So when we address anger and hateful speech, it's nothing new underneath the sun. And even the early church, the earliest church, struggled with anger and speech. Psychologists will sometimes claim that emotions like anger 
since they are a natural product of the personality. And I'll talk about the rightful place of anger in a believer's life as we go. But some psychologists today claim that anger cannot be controlled. It can only be suppressed, which later just blows up, or just ignored. You keep you know, brushing it off until you do something drastic. And what I want you to know is the Bible actually says that anger can be controlled. All right? But not with any of our own resources. Not anything within us. In this section of the epistle of James, James, Jesus' brother, shifts from instructions about life's difficulties, trials, and uh, temptations to very pragmatic thoughts and ideals on the full implications of faith in Jesus. What is it like to live out our faith in Jesus? James reminds us that a wise person will learn to control anger and eliminate one of the most common sources of hateful speech. If you can address anger, you'll talk differently. Okay? James shows here in this text today that by God's grace and the work of the Holy Spirit, a person can be transformed to bring their emotions in line with God's word and will. It is possible, but all things are possible with God, all right? Look at and see what it says in James chapter 19 verses uh, James chapter 1 verses 19 through 21. We're just going to answer the question, how can we diffuse? How can we diffuse our anger? And he says this, my dear brothers and sisters, my beloved Understand this, know this, get it deep in your heart and soul. Everyone, all y'all, should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. And then he's going to spend the next two verses highlighting this portion on anger. He says, for human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. Therefore, ridding yourselves of all moral filth, And the evil that is so prevalent, humbly receive, you can also translate that, welcome the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. This first command you see here, he first draws his attention in. James is so nice, he calls us dear brothers. This is the family of God as we've sung about The beloved, draw in close, come here. We're going to have a holy huddle for just a moment. He says, I need y'all to understand something. And this is so important because I always like to emphasize that this is not just addressed to a particular individual. This is addressed to the entire church. And I think it's important because have you ever been angry with the church? (laughs) Yeah. Have you ever been angry with people inside the church? Yeah. So anger is not just an individual problem. It can be a corporate problem community problem all right so he's addressing all of us and this proverb this wise saying begins by telling us to be quick to hear one way you could translate it if this is like josh's living translation is hurry up and listen hurry up and listen the word for quickness implies a rapid pursuit be quick chase down the opportunity to listen to someone, all right? Slow to speak, that next part entails that a credible Christian witness, especially in our postmodern, post-Christian world, 
to have a credible Christian witness requires careful attention to others' perspectives. Christians can't just be outright dismissive. We have to hear people out. So we've got to stop speaking every now and then. And that does not mean that we should never speak or even scarcely speak. You and I are told over and over again in the Bible to proclaim the truth, to announce the gospel to all people. But I think we should do this too in the context of understanding. People will have questions about the gospel. They'll have things in their heart that they just can't quite compute. And we would do well to take this proverb to heart, to slow down with what we've got to say for a moment and be rapid in our pursuit of hearing just another perspective. That doesn't mean never speak, just be slow to speak. And think about it. There is little Christian civility in our society and especially on social media these days. Anger, anger is a powerful emotion. And you might want to write this down. I didn't put this in any of the blanks. But the ultimate purpose of anger, that I believe why God designed it, he he expresses anger. We're going to talk about it here in just a minute. Uh, And I think why he has given humanity a capacity for anger is this, is anger is designed to destroy something. It's the emotion in you that looks at an object or a person and goes, you need to stop. You need to be diminished. You need to be destroyed. And God gave us that emotion to be used in its proper place or on the proper object. And that's where the deceitfulness of sin comes in. Because if it can take and direct our anger toward an improper object, we do so much damage to the Christian witness. Think about what Jesus did. We always can look at Jesus for our example. In Mark eleven fifteen through 19, Jesus cleared the money changers. Why? Because he hated them? <laughs> no. He cleared the money changers from the temple in righteous indignation over the misuse of a place of worship. This is a house of prayer, he calls it. So his anger, the object of his anger was that the temple had been thwarted, ran over with thieves when it was a place to worship and pray to the God of Israel. And even then, his anger was controlled in the sense that if you know the power of Jesus, he could have dissolved them with a word and he just simply moves them out of the place. That's not what this is for. Jesus and Paul both regularly ranted against the hypocrisy of the religious insiders who failed to demonstrate love and justice for others in the zeal to uphold the law. Indeed, and if you think about this, the easiest illustration to show that we serve a God who does express anger is you just look at the apocalyptic woes in the book of Revelation that talk about God's future judgment against sin. The critical difference, though, in our cases of human sinful anger versus when God has this emotion to destroy something is this, is that it's God's holy wrath unleashed against injustice. It's not merely human rage. 
Believers can properly reflect a measure of this anger, especially when protesting others' mistreatment. Generally what you'll find in the Bible is if your anger is directed toward, it, toward an injustice done to someone else, it has a proper place. That's okay. We don't want to see people mistreated on our watch so you can be angry. But sinful or human anger comes when your pride is hurt, you're jealous, or some other self-focused matter. Now, I do believe, again, you can be the recipient of injustice yourself. You can be. But more often than not, where we, you and I find ourselves in, we're not been the recipient of injustice. It's just our pride's been hurt, and we become angry, and that is sinful anger. John Cassian talks about the effect of what anger does in our lives. Listen to what he said. As long as this sinful anger is in our hearts, it blinds us with hurtful darkness, the eye of the soul. We can never acquire right judgment and discretion nor gain the insight which springs from an honest gaze or ripeness of counsel. Nor can we be partakers of life or retentive of righteousness or even have the capacity for spiritual and true light. That is a loaded statement, but it's good. What happens when our hearts are so filled with anger? These are just sub-points. Just write these down and meditate on them this week. Number one is an angry person acts without counsel. It's one of the most damaging effects of anger. That once that pride has been hurt and you want to unleash this emotion of diminishing or destroying someone else, you will act without thinking. You will act without getting others' advice. Listen to what it says in Proverbs 14, 17. A quick-tempered person acts foolishly and one who schemes is hated. Is your anger in a way kind of outruns your better judgment? That's what happens. So I know, I'm telling you now while hopefully you're not angry, that you can see that when you are angry, you'll do stuff without counsel. And the second thing is this, is that an angry person provokes fights. An angry person provokes fights. Proverbs 29, 22, it says, An angry person stirs up conflict, and a hot-tempered one increases rebellion. Have you ever noticed that there are some people that always complain, that they'll say things like, you know, things just never end well with me and other people, and they have no clue. They're like, do you understand? Because every person you're around, you irritate them to death, Okay? You're an angry person. You stir up. You provoke fights. And that's one of the hard things about angry people is that they always feel like the target. And in some ways, though, they somehow victimize themselves. They provoke anger and angry situations and then just live in a state of anger. So sometimes your anger is your own worst enemy when it comes to disputes and disagreements. You're an angry person. Always kind of joke with Haddon right now. Haddon just was born grumpy. Man, born grumpy. I can't tell you how many things we tried to do. Like maybe he needs to go to the chiropractor. Maybe he needs this kind of food. No, he's just grumpy. And some people are just angry. That doesn't give you an excuse. I'm just helping you identify it. 
If one accepts a later date for this epistle, and, and scholars differ, most, most believe that James probably is the earliest epistle in the entire New Testament. All right, it's the first letter we have recorded and kept by the church. But there's some that just date it later, okay? So instead of maybe the 40s or 50s, it's in the 60s AD, okay? But if it was dated later, there's something significant that's going on. And if you're following Revelation on uh, Wednesday nights, you know what's about to happen in AD 70. But James could have written this during what they call this zealot movement, all right? And you've heard even one of Jesus' disciples was a zealot. This is a political revolutionary, all right? These were Jews who wanted to throw off Roman oppression, these militant Jews emphasized resistance and striking out at the Romans and their aristocratic vassals, supposing that they would be acting as agents of God's righteous indignation. And this is something so important because I do think it ties in. If this is a later date, then that next verse, verse 20, really helps us understand what's going on in the background, is that these people were saying, the Romans have no right to do this. And it was true. We should not experience this oppression. And then they took up their weapons and fought back. And they thought they were doing God's will. Now, if you think about that in our context, that kind of sounds ancient. That stuff happens all the time today. And I don't mean like just in the Middle East. I'm talking about right here in our own homeland. How many things are religiously fueled? We are taking up the right cause. God is on our side and we will fight back. And James wants to like speak up and go, well, let me, let me, first of all, before you claim to talk for God, let me tell you what God thinks about this. You need to see this, is that this type of anger never achieves or accomplishes God's righteousness. Never. Because you've got to catch this. The ends never justifies the means. It never does. So even if you are, you have like this moral high ground or you've gained some type of moral ascendancy over another party or another position or a platform, to, to go about it in an angry fashion is not the way God wants his things done. That's not how he accomplished it. Listen to what Ed Stetzer, this is probably the one book that I think does a really good job of giving insight into like American Christendom during the past decade. There's a book by Ed Stetzer called Christians in the Age of Outrage. Christians in the Age of Outrage. And he writes this, he says, unflinching devotion to a tribe. And what he means by this is any um, allegiance, full allegiance that you give to any other group other than Jesus and the church. Listen to this. This is what he says. Pushes us to fight against issues that are not connected to the gospel and don't advance the mission of God. That's true. It happens. Because certain platforms and positions align with certain parts of our biblical worldview, but there's others that do not. And we get swept up in all of it, right? But we have to always remember where our first allegiance lies. And that's with Christ and His church. 
He moves on. But it also affects how we view others who disagree with us. I've never, this is one of the things that's so polarizing in America right now. And it's so sad. I really, this is like one of the one times I'm going to say this, like as a 33-year-old guy. It makes me just disgusted for the society that my, my babies will be brought up in. Is this, is where I sincerely can't disagree with you. Okay, without saying that, like, everything about you is completely and totally wrong. That's not true. Like, God's people, we should rejoice in the truth no matter where it comes from. So even if a person has 1% of it right, let's acknowledge that. Even if the 99% goes, I think you're dead wrong, <laughs> right? But it's usually, we've, we've tended to think that it's some type of compromise that we're compromising the faith when this happens. I don't believe that at all. Where we have this all or nothing mentality. And it generates this anger among the people of God. As, as we just face the facts, we've lost the cultural influence. You're just going to be a Christian in the 2020s. And that's okay. That may not mean anything else. It's just really interesting to think about. It says they become opponents we have to beat rather than lost people made in the image of God that we are to love and to extend grace to. See, that's the biggest, that's what gets me so scared is when I see people talk in anger about issues that have no bearing on the gospel, you start seeing like political opponents and not people who need to hear Jesus. That is scary when the church doesn't see that. That our first and foremost allegiance is to Jesus. So what if you win your political battle and they never heard the gospel? Wow, what are we forfeited? He goes on to say, he says, our true fight, remember this church, is not against those who are hurting in the world. It is against sinful and demonic forces of darkness. Christian, that is who we ultimately, we, church, you want to be angry at something? Be angry at the devil. That's an appropriate object. Be angry at your own sin. Be angry at sin and its own consequences on the world. Those are all appropriate uh, objects of anger because what should you want to do with those things? Kill it. Destroy it. That's okay. You can put those things to death. The Bible tells you to mortify those things. That's our real battle. And what's our weapons? Just remember this in Ephesians. And I don't, don't ever get away from it. Here's your sword. And work on yourself first. And then the prayer to pray. And it's like, well, that's just so basic and simple. Why would God ever do that? <laughs> because it's about the object of the word and prayer. You're talking to him. Such anger doesn't achieve the righteousness of God. As a motivating power, anger ought to tear up and destroy problems, not people. Only God's anger and wrath may be loosed on persons. Did you catch that? Let me tell you, the, only reason, the reason why we give vengeance to God is because ultimately only God knows what was in the heart of that person that hurt you. So let him settle that on judgment day for you. He's, he's literally told you, I'll do it, okay? You don't take vengeance in your hand. I know I've got all the facts to make the informed decision. So you leave that up to me. And I've always told people, it helps me so much, we have this tendency, I've got to make someone pay for that, what they did. 
what, what the Bible teaches over and over. Jesus paid for your sin and even their sins against you. Somebody's already paid for it. Your Savior bled and died. So you, don't, you can dismiss their debt because he dismissed yours. That's how it works biblically. Anger out of accord with God's will fails to achieve God's righteousness. It fails to bring about righteousness that pleases God. It may seem to do so. It's that weird thing you hear every now and then in our, in our uh, you know, news meet where uh, an abortionist was killed. That does not achieve the righteousness of God. That's exactly what I mean by that. That's anger destroying something that God goes, that's not the way to handle that issue. It could be applied to many other things. But those turn out to be sin rather than righteousness. God is not only talking about these glaring sins like murder, but many things. From day-to-day corrupt speech that stirs up strife and stems from anger. So we've, we've noted the problem, right? That's the problem. We know the problem. How do we resolve the problem? How can we diffuse anger? And it's, it's in verse 21. It says this. Look at this. Therefore, therefore, ridding yourselves of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. Isn't it amazing, too? Let's just say this for what it is. He's including anger. Oh, little old anger as moral filth. Did you see that? That's what he calls it. Anger is moral filth. Humbly receive the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Write this down. We diffuse by welcoming the word. We diffuse by welcoming the word. This is so good. How sufficient is God's word to change our anger? More than sufficient. More than sufficient to change your disposition. The word of God can do it. Uh, there's a song that we had sung at our wedding, Mandy and I, and it's called Welcome Home by Sean Groves. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but here's the first uh, like verse and chorus of that song, and he's basically personifying receiving or welcoming Jesus in the gospel into his heart and life. And listen to what it says. It says, Welcome to this heart of mine I've buried under prideful vines. Grown to hide the mess I've made inside of me. Come decorate, Lord. Open up the creaking door and walk upon the dusty floor. Scrape away the guilty stains until no sin or shame remain. Spread your love upon the walls and occupy the empty halls until the man I am has faded. No more doors are barricaded. Come inside this heart of mine. It's not my own. Make it home. Come and take this heart and make it all your own. Welcome home. It's a beautiful song that we're saying, Jesus, you take up residence in us. Don't leave my heart the same. And we're to humbly receive and welcome the word of God into our lives. Notice how this is accomplished. I'm going to show you some of the things that you're responsible for. But the grace to do it is from the word of God. And I'll show you how. He says, rid yourselves. It literally means to strip, to take off your clothes. The imagery is applied to stripping off the believer's pre-Christian lifestyle. And don't just think about that chronologically. 
We sometimes think, well, I wasn't too bad angry beforehand. We're saying this, anger before you come to Christ is a part of what has to go. Regardless, anger is a part of the moral filth that has to be stripped off. You are responsible to rid yourself of, behavior, of this behavior. And I'm going, to show you, I'm going to show you where the power to do that, where it comes from. And then notice this other word real quick. I wanted to mention this. Therefore, ridding yourselves of all moral filth and the evil which is so prevalent. That Greek word is used three other times in the New Testament. And there it's translated in abundance. In abundance. And the ideas that he gives. Like, here's what I want you to understand. Because this is what we think sometimes. All right. I've come to church today. Josh is going to preach a message on anger. I'm going to hear the truth. I'm going to receive that truth. And I'm going to walk out of here and never be angry again. Oh, I wish it worked that way. <laughs> the idea of stripping off this moral filth that's so abundant is this. It's like you take it off one day and what do you go to the next day? Take it off again. You're going to be ridding yourself. It's progressive, present tense. Continually through the rest of your days. All right? It's taking upon this work of taking off anger. Just constantly. Like I'm just going to take this off. So you'll do it today and the next day and the next day. But where does the help come from? Where does the help come from? Notice how James describes Jesus and the gospel. He says, humbly receive the implanted word. The implanted word. Most commentators, and I agree with them, believe this is a reference to a promise in Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 33. The prophet Jeremiah notes Israel's failure to live up to the Mosaic covenant. Think of like the Ten Commandments. And announces on behalf of God, the prophet does, that there's coming a new covenant, a new type of relationship with God where he would enter into his people. Remember, so far in Israel, God's in the sanctuary, Right? outside of people, but in the camp. But there's no promise that he would actually indwell people. And then listen to what it says in Jeremiah 31, 33. Instead, this is the covenant. This is the kind of relationship I will make with the house of Israel, the elect after those days, the Lord, the God of, of Israel, Yahweh's declaration. I will put my teaching within them and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. A prominent component of the new covenant, covenant arrangement is that God promises to put his law within his people and write it on their hearts. Now, what does that mean? What does that mean? This concept of the written word on our hearts does not mean that we possess automatic knowledge of God's written word. It doesn't mean like when you become a Christian, God's going to take this content and download it into your brain. That's not what it means. When he's talking about the heart here, he's talking about the whole person. He's not talking about the mind and the content and the knowledge that the word of God possesses. He's talking about the willingness to obey what is revealed. See, that's the part where before Christ we are stubborn and resistant to the word. 
We will not obey it. We will not give it a look our way. And here's the amazing thing about the new covenant, this new arrangement, this new relationship that we have with God because of Jesus' shed blood, his resurrection, and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit who indwells, takes up residence in our life, is now he empowers us to obey the word. That's different. That's different. So what we're acknowledging, here's a great thing. If you go, I don't have what it takes to deal with my anger. The Bible would say, amen. You don't. All right? The difference, though, is if you're a Christian, the Spirit of God is in you who can control anger. That's the difference. That's what we're offering. And the cooperation is this. Here's the hard thing. Notice what it said. There is a responsibility on your part. What does it say about this implanted word? I'll wait. I haven't had to wait in a long time. What do you have to do? Humbly receive it. Humbly receive it. Now you say, well, Tom, Josh, Tom, I thought when I got saved, I received it. Again, you don't understand this dynamic of salvation that, that the Bible talks about. Notice how the next verse, or the next line says, which is able to save your souls. Now, we always sit there and think to ourselves, well, when I repented of my sin and trusted Jesus as my Savior, I I said that prayer, raised my hand, I got wet in church, I got saved. And it's like, you did, but you didn't. What do you mean? Because in the apostolic mind, in the New Testament, salvation is always along a spectrum. Always is. There is this part called regeneration and justification that does happen. At the very moment you turn to believe Jesus, God declares you righteous. That's awesome. And many of us equate salvation in our minds with that moment. But that is not what the apostles teach on salvation. The apostles continue to teach that this, that God is continually saving you. Every day he is. And we talk about this in the concept or the doctrine of sanctification. Setting things apart for his purposes. He's going to take a little more of you each day and go, this is going to go here. And this is going to go here. (laughs) And I'm going to use you this way. And the ultimate salvation. The apostles would tell you, if you've repented of your sins and trusted Jesus as your Savior, you've received the promise or down payment of salvation. But real salvation comes eschatologically. When Jesus breaks through the heavens... The, the sun goes black, the moon turns red, and Jesus goes, it's judgment day, let's see who makes it. And since we've been declared righteous because of Christ, those whose names are written in the book of life are saved. So I need you to catch this, church. You're never going to get over the word of God saving you. He saved you the day you repented of your sins. He's saving you some more today. And one day you'll be really glad that this is salvation day for me and not judgment day. So what are we constantly doing then? Every day we are humbly submitting to the word of God, just like we first did. The day, what did you go through the day you first received the gospel? I acknowledged I'm a sinner. Yeah. And you submitted to the authority of God's word and truth, didn't you? Yeah. And did it change your life? Yeah. Well, guess what? You're going to do that again today. When you deal with your anger, you're going to humbly go to God. You go, God, this is sin. It's sin. I acknowledge it as sin. But I believe you can transform me. You can change me. You don't have to have this in my life. You don't. And I'm bringing it to you. Change it. 
And that's what's so amazing about the gospel. The gospel is propositional content. There is Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. He was buried and rose again the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And he appeared to Cephas in the twelve. Yeah, there's propositional content, knowledge you have to know. But church, we'll always remember, the gospel is also a power. The power of God into salvation. It's a dynamic thing. That when the word of God comes into you through Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, it goes, we can do things together if you'll cooperate with me. Isn't that amazing? That's why we don't grieve the Spirit, right? He's at war with the desires of our flesh. And he can put those things to death. But there has to come a humility in the sense that I'm not, I'm not going to have the final word. I'm going to let God's word have the final word. And what does God's word tell me to say? And that's the hard part. It does, I do believe this too, is that sometimes obedience to God's word when you don't feel like it is the very means of grace by which he changes your heart. So there's going to be times where the word says, you just need to go ahead and forgive that person. Well, I don't want to. And the word's like, do it anyways. (laughs) And it changes your heart. But the, the grateful thing that I want you to know, church, is unlike what the world can tell you, the world has nothing to offer you but you to either suppress your anger, to live in anger, and just ignore it. What the Bible offers you is the Spirit of God lives inside of you and does not want that anger to take up residence in your life. Does not. And you can bring it to Him. And He is able to save your souls. He can deliver you from anger. And you'll strip off some today, you'll strip off some tomorrow, you'll keep doing it. Until one day he breaks through the skies, we'll see his full anger and we won't be angry anymore. (laughs) It's just an amazing thought. Controlling one's temper remains a challenging task for many Christians. Anger must be dealt with in a constructive fashion that addresses the causes of someone becoming upset. Verse 19 suggests one crucial way for people to become slow to anger. I mean, even if we just followed, think about if we humbly received the implanted word and just did what James said in verse 19. Be quick to listen and slow to speak. If we just humbly receive that, saying, God, I am not quick to listen. (laughs) I am fast to speak, quick to speak. And it's sin, I recognize it. That's sin, that's against your will and your word. Forgive me and help me do this. And that's humbly receiving the word. He will help you. He'll help you. Being slow to anger, not simply suppressing or stifling one's rage. Isn't that interesting? I love that one thing. The Bible says stop. It doesn't say stop being angry. That's not what it says. Be slow to anger because there's part of anger that's a good thing. But you're going to need that wise perspective to find out when do things actually supposed to have the object of my anger. But most importantly, I have to remind you this. This is not three steps to no longer be angry. That's not what this is. What I have to make much of and boast of is that James is encouraging believers to go back to the very word that saved them, is saving them, and will save them. Christian, you will never graduate beyond this book, Jesus, or the gospel. Never. And when you neglect this, when you neglect 
this word, and you've got something living in you on the inside that wants to obey it, when you neglect this word, anger will run over you out of control. It will. You can take comfort in this book and live righteous lives fueled by this book and follow the Spirit's lead. You may reason, tell you one reason why I know the Holy Spirit wants to do what's in this book. He wrote this book. <laughs> it's, it's real. I mean, so, hmm, I wonder what the Spirit wants me to do with my life. There is a ton of pages sitting here. The Word of God is sufficient. And so what God is doing, you, doing today is that same basic calling when God commanded you to come to Him. And He put His Word in your heart. He's just calling to you again. When it comes to anger, let's do it again. <laughs> let's go back and put that, that word in there. And you love and obey me. I'm going to ask every head bowed and every eye closed. It's always enjoyable to preach through a text of scripture that you just maybe would overlook. In the sense that it's not like, okay, I have anger on my preaching calendar and agenda this year. But then the more I, I delved into the text, I was saying I thought I was going to be able to kind of, you know, skim over it. <laughs> not deep dive into it. I realized, oh man, how much anger shows up in my own life. How it shows up in society. How's it, how it shows up in social media. How some, how some Christians, I think, even after this, these, these last year or two... They're just tired and fed up. And what I just want to remind you is to go back to the word to see your identity. You belong to Christ and the church. There are things, there are things that are literally because of your allegiance to Jesus that are not worth being angry over. They're not. They're transitory. They'll pass. It all burns. And then... If given the wisdom of the word, if you've taken the time to hear somebody out and be slow and take counsel and, and, and say it the right way, there's a lot of anger that can be diminished just by the way you go about achieving God's righteousness. And some of you, with gentleness and respect, I have different sins, okay? Some of you, 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 you like what I just said, you just, you just born grumpy and angry. And mad at the world. And what I want you to know is there is hope because of the implanted word in Christ. You don't have to live in it and see like a cauldron every day. But it all begins with repentance and faith in Christ. And, and what I would say is it begins and ends with that every day. We're calling people to repentance and faith. So if you've never repented of your sins and trusted Jesus as your Savior, I want you to repeat this prayer after me. There's nothing magical about this prayer. I just want to teach you a way to pray in which you can call upon Jesus. He is the Son of God. He's not dead. He's alive. He hears our thoughts and whispers. Where you can call out to him for this rescue, this deliverance. You can pray this quietly, silently in your heart. Just say, Dear Jesus, I confess I am a sinner, even an angry sinner. And I deserve your holy wrath. But your love, and you love me, 
He came down to this earth, lived a holy, righteous life, and shed your blood and died on the cross to forgive all my sin. And God raised you from the dead as proof. Please save me and change me. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to encourage you, if you prayed that prayer, this is like your first step in your walk with the Lord. As a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus, what Jesus commands us to is to be baptized. Baptism is the way in which we show the church and the world that we believe and identify with Jesus' death for our sins when we go into the water. And then when we come up out of the water, we're saying we believe and identify with Jesus' resurrection for our salvation and eternal life. If you've never been baptized, that's your next step. So take it. Fill out the tear-off on the bulletin. Check baptism. Text believe to our text and church number. Go to our website. Fill out that baptism form. Give me an opportunity just to talk to you about that next step. The last thing that I want us to do, and I have just a brief prayer for this time of reflection and meditation and Stacey you can begin to play I found this in a study Bible and uh, I think in its conciseness uh, it gets at the heart of what is in the teaching today it says thank you Lord for your word hold it continually before me and bring me to hear it preached and taught may it be rooted deep inside me that it may transform me into your righteous servant. Will you pray that? Lord, we pray this song back to you that you would change our hearts. Dear God, we come um, and humbly confess as best as we can that we don't have the resources. Uh, our, our human nature uh, desires to be angry at the wrong things and to not accomplish your righteousness. And only you can correct and change and transform the human heart. And so, Lord, I pray. I know there are that are, there are some sitting here today that sincerely are seeking this transformation in their life from you. 
And so we pray that today you would help them to strip off the moral filth of anger, to put on your righteousness of love and self-control. And that they cannot do this without your help. And that's what we seek today. And we do this on the basis of your word. Help us to rest in your word and its sufficiency, its grace and strength to change us from the inside out. We thank you for your word. We thank you for Jesus and the spirit. And we pray this in Jesus' strong name and all God's people say, amen. Let me, y'all want to do this today? We'll make it happen. Come on. Uh, they're, as they're making their way up, I'm going to do a couple quick announcements and then Rick will uh, uh, have our last song. Um, remember, uh, next Sunday we'll have our special called business meeting uh, to do the, um, the amendment to the Constitution. Please read over it if you have any questions. See Brother Randy uh, specifically. He would do a much better job of answering than I will. Uh, and then, uh, but you can come and vote next week, and we'll have that. The vote, if you're coming to stay in the church, we'll have that vote at the end of the service. Don't forget tonight, 6 o'clock. Uh, Brother Aaron will continue his um, uh, teaching through the commandments of Jesus. I, I'm not going to lie to you. I told my wife this other day. It's so funny. I said, he, he told me months ago, like, I want to teach through all the commandments of Jesus. And I was like, all right, have at it. So he just started the, started the first one, started teaching through it. And then here we are. He's in the Sermon on the Mount where it talks about to lust not after a woman, and it fell on Valentine's Day. I was like, have at it. So anyways... Uh, don't miss tonight. I'm so excited for him. And then um, I'll be live Wednesday, Lord willing, uh, to look at the book of Revelation and the fifth and sixth seal and their, their four interpretive approaches. Please RSVP for church. RSVP. You can send just RSVP to our text and church number, 706-525-5351. You can fill out that tariff panel, check the appropriate box, drop it in the, at the exit, or you can go to our website, click reserve. Now, Business, church business. Come on up. You got to at least so they can see it. Because in fact, uh, they were going to do this last week, and I was counting numbers like I don't have a quorum, so I'm off to wait. Uh, this is Drew McCall and Sadie. You have to come over. That now they're they're going to be able to see it now. Drew McCall, Sadie Murner, correct? Uh, Sadie's from Vermont. I always like to point out our northerners to this great crowd. Um, but they are coming forward for church membership today. Uh, we've talked already, and they repented of their sins. They trust Christ as their Savior. They've been baptized by immersion. They've read the Baptist faith and message. They agree with the church covenant. I can come and put them in front of you in a good conscience, all right? And so I'd like to call for a church vote uh, to uh, welcome them into the Mount Carmel family, all right? So all in favor of receiving them into our fellowship as members of Mount Carmel Baptist Church say amen. amen. Anybody who opposed can do likewise. And you're Mount Carmelites. All right, so here's the deal. Uh, we don't do right now the right hand of Christian fellowship. We just do the right wave of Christian fellowship. So everybody give them a good wave, especially you uh, who's watching online, drop in the chat uh, a welcome. And uh, we're excited to have you guys here. So, and they're also, can I say this? They're, they're getting married in the end of May. All right, so... If you have any words of wisdom, harass them, all right? Uh, but you guys, you guys can go back. Thank you so much for being with us today. Um, we're here to make much of Jesus, and we hope you enjoy King Jesus like we do. Brother Rick, will you come and lead us in one last song? What a great time to announce that on Valentine's Day, you guys. <laughs> Hallelujah. Wonderful to have you with us. And so we're going to stand, and I'm going to challenge you to do something this week. Share his love, okay? Let's do that one verse. Standing as we sing.
Thanks for listening to Mount Carmel Baptist Church's weekly Sunday worship service message. Mount Carmel is located in Demarest, Georgia. Please join us this Sunday at 11 a.m. To plan your visit, go to mtcarmeldemarest.com.